to Activating Sustainability, the Anthesis podcast. We're recording this at the end of March, and with all things COVID-19 related, are hoping that you, your families, and teams are staying safe and well wherever you are around the world. I'm joined today by Simon Davis, who leads the sustainable agriculture effort at Anthesis, really to discuss how COVID-19 is impacting the agri-food sector, and in particular, looking for some hope, optimism, and positivity in the current context. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for joining. I know we recorded a podcast two, three weeks ago, but uh, with everything that has changed over that time, really felt like it was a great time for us to get back together to kind of talk about how the agricultural industry, the food system is all responding to this, and then really think about how does that provide a model for other industries as we go forward here. So thank you again for joining. Really appreciate it. Really glad to be here. And uh, wow, what a few months. Uh, just echo your thoughts. I hope everyone's safe and well during this uh, these challenging times. Yeah, pretty incredible, right? And <laughs> I think, you know, when we think about food systems and people going back to basics, right, it's been fascinating to see how that has kind of cascaded through through society, right? When you start thinking about what do you have in your pantry and how are you going to sustain yourself for weeks at a time as stores close or our kind of current patterns develop. So, you know, but it'd be fascinating to hear from your perspective, how has the food system been impacted and how is it evolving currently? Yeah, that's a a good question. Let me just first set the scene and in terms of where we are with COVID globally. So this pandemic is still relatively early stage. It's affecting more than 170 countries worldwide and all those countries produce food and support those working in the food sector in terms of their livelihoods and all those countries are putting in place plans to mitigate the spread of the virus and that's through things like social distancing and closing of borders And there has never been a more critical time to focus their efforts on how they best feed their own nations as well as supply food to other nations. And, you know, I think that many of the food availability issues we've started to see through consumer stockpiling in the UK, and it might be also elsewhere in the world, a lot of the general food availability issues are are yet to be realized. So the world has almost overnight and the food sector almost overnight has had to transform the way it produces, distributes and we consume products. It will continue to have to evolve. It will have no choice but to develop even more new ways to deliver sustainable supply of food. So whilst we're seeing a lot uh, in the past few months, I can guarantee we're going to see a lot more over the months to come. And what do you think is driving that? Because I have to say, I've been personally kind of surprised and struck by kind of how quickly, say, like the major grocery retailers here in Canada have come out to say they've confirmed their supply chains, you know, they, the shelves are full etc. And that's kind of what we're seeing currently, which was a surprise to me. I would have expected a lot of things to be running low, etc. But has that been the general experience around the world? or Yeah, so I think with the panic that the 
pandemic has, has brought. We've seen, as I said, consumer stockpiling, which hasn't helped. But I think what consumers are starting to realize is just how in time food production is. You know, back to the transformational way of having to produce and distribute food, we're going to have to work differently with new partners, new connections to ensure that that just in time becomes more resilient. Yeah, well, and fascinating too to think about, as you're saying, those changing in supply chains and people think about what can we develop domestically around this, right? Where that just has been a declining consideration, at least here for a long time. Yeah, sure. And I mean, in the UK, we're seeing things that would have been unimaginable three months ago. So first of all, there's growth. Grocery sales are up. Just seeing the figures this morning, grocery sales are up 22%. And that was the week before COVID-19 really hit the UK. Put that in context, the last three months since November, the general year-on-year sales were 0.7%. So that is unimaginable. And it's great because it's creating new jobs, new opportunities for others to come into the sector and support getting food on shelf. And that's all the way from retail down to, to farming level. But the real challenge, as you said, is or alluded to is actually getting that daily secure of, of supply. That a lot comes down to distribution. Again, in the UK, we're seeing for first time relaxation of competition laws. So retailers that are normally seen as rivals are now working together behind a common purpose to feed the nation. And I'm sure that resonates more globally. What that means in principle is that we're seeing some of these businesses now working better together to discuss really commercially sensitive issues like stock levels, staffing, delivery, vans, sharing, and that is unprecedented, but it just shows the power of when we're in a crisis, the power of working together to keep our, our citizens safe. Yeah, it's fascinating. In some of the work I do with major organizations and their supply chains, right, that there is that desire to understand like kind of where is the line around antitrust and concerns there and how do we manage that and how do we you know, do as much as we can within the confines that we're kind of legally constrained within. And then also seeing some of the, the guidance coming back around that flexibility that starts to come in, in crisis situations like this. Definitely. So Simon, that's really helpful, you know, and maybe now as we think about how organizations are responding to that and what's providing you with some hope for the future and positivity and optimism looking ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, there, there's so much optimism, particularly in our sector. Now, what I'd say is that with innovation and transformation, it's never going to be perfect the first time. And whilst our sector is still developing innovative ways to supply food that brings new challenges, there's lots of elements that we can be proud of. So firstly, we need to remind ourselves that the role of food that can play in almost a second health service and the value of nutritious and healthy food in supporting the prevention and recovery from many types of chronic and acute diseases. And whilst we may never really see it, if 
we can continue to provide the right types of food and help consumers make the right choices around the products that they purchase and consume, this will have a significant role to play in alleviating the impact of this pandemic, both on individuals, but also our national health services, which is win-win for everyone. So that's really important. I think secondly, what I've been really inspired by is our development of different types of communities. And firstly, the people that work within our sector. You know, these guys are problem solvers and they're used to working with dynamic and complex problems that face our industry. But it's the range of people that are stepping up to to feed our nations, the shop workers, the manufacturers, the farmers, the volunteers who might be shopping on behalf of, of others, you know, putting their, their own lives at risk. And what's now been known in the UK is the retail and food sector is now the fourth emergency service. So we just have to remind ourselves how critical this sector is. I think also our relationships, retailers, relationships with suppliers and farmers. Getting food on shelves during a global pandemic is difficult, but without sustainable relationships, it would be even harder. So we've got to We've got to really be proud of the relationships and the investment in time and building those sustainable relationships within the industry that means that we can get access to food produced all over the world and put it on our shelves on a daily basis. And then finally, within communities, I think this is about new connections and, and innovation. I mentioned earlier the relaxation and competition laws where retailers are starting to work with their rivals. But actually now we're seeing tie-ups with retailers and food service businesses um, to stock non-branded or wholesale products on their shelves where there might be gaps on their shelves. We're seeing the innovation in, in those that would have previously supplied wholesale markets to now supply delivery of food direct to consumers to plug the, the challenges that retailers have with with online delivery services. Just this morning, I heard of a, an example of retailers now developing new ways to work with, with food banks and where they have store areas like cafes that are closed and restaurants that are closed. They're now being set up to distribute food to the local communities, community hubs. So there's lots of lots of different types of communities being developed, but it's really exciting how with these catalyzed new relationships to put food on people's plates. Well, that's great. I'd love to unpack each of those a little bit further because they're all fascinating and really encouraging. So the first one you talked about is the food system as the second national health service. And just kind of curious, you know, I think one of the things we've seen has been there's lots of fruits and vegetables available, but some of those staples like craft dinner and toilet paper are kind of flying off the shelves. So are there efforts that you're seeing that are doing a good job of trying to encourage healthy food and, you know, especially as people are stressed and maybe stress eating, et cetera? I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, it's a a good question. I just wanted to pick up uh, something you said about the the toilet roll because it's another critical point that then should tie back into the the fruit and veg question. You know, I think 
something else that's inspired me is the way that our sector is now developing more responsible production and consumption. The panic-led overconsumption by consumers is now being matched by responsible behaviours of some of the shops. And that might be through reducing or developing specific opening hours for key key types of consumer group, things like healthcare workers or the elderly. Mm -hmm. So they have priority in choosing the products that they need to sustain health, but also ensure that they've got availability of all, you know, all the things that they might need to do when they're socially distancing or under, under lockdown. We're also seeing some of these businesses now limiting purchases of particular goods. And that, again, ties into more grocery-led, long-shelf-life products. But perhaps it might now start to feed into fresh produce, fruit and vegetables. So that's, yeah, that's really, really innovative. And we're also seeing a decreased variety of key product lines at manufacturing level. So things like sausages where retailers might stock 60 different sausages or types of sausages or 20 different types of pasta. We're now seeing a far more reduced number and type of those types of commodities, which mean that from a manufacturing perspective, lines can run longer um, and more efficient. There's fewer breaks in between changing products on lines and fewer deeper clean. Yeah, and it's fascinating. I mean, that's something that I'm seeing in other supply chains and industries as well, right? Like I'm hearing a lot of suppliers reaching out to their customers to say, okay, let's really take a step back and look at the next six months and figure out what is really critical here so that we're focusing our manufacturing resources to critical projects, whatever it may be. You know, and especially as people are coming out of that, at least here in North America, that initial shock of COVID and everything being shut down and social isolation to starting to think about, okay, what does the next six months look like? That's proving to be a really important prioritization. And it sounds like kind of the same experience within the food system as well. Oh, completely. You know, this is a wake up call that our world and our food production is fragile and we need to do more to protect the environments, look after the people, you know, who work tirelessly to produce and distribute our food and just be more responsible citizens. As you rightly said, you know, this is, this is just the beginning and the many sectors and systems are going to have to evolve to a, a world that looks very different in 2021 than it did in 2019. And, you know, those that are reacting and having those conversations now are going to be the ones that prosper. Mm -hmm. Well, I think fascinating to hear that piece too, right? Because I think that's one of those consistent messages I'm seeing across industries. So Paul Polman, former Unilever CEO, was speaking to Ethical Core, and he was saying that he's now head of the International Chamber of Commerce and was saying that exactly like you said, the actions organizations take today is how they're going to be judged going forward, right? And I think that that kind of cascading effect is going to be fascinating to see. And I know just noticing kind of the 
the other three trends, things you were watching at that kind of are giving you some hope, were all related to that sense of relationship, community, the collaboration around it. Do you see that carrying forward and some key lessons that organizations and industries are learning at the moment that you think will carry carry on? I, I really hope so. You know, the world will never look the same again. And this is a, a very bad but good example of the world being connected by a, a common goal of eradicating a, a pandemic. My hope is that even when we get to a position of effectively managing this risk, that we don't lose that regional, national, global solidarity because we will have to transform the way we work together. And if you take a pandemic and put it into a sustainability context, climate change, water stress, ecosystem collapse, livelihoods, equality, why shouldn't we be having the the same approach to tackling these types of issues? We're, we're demonstrating it's possible and it's going to need a, a step change in, in the way that we harness that that unity that we've created now to tackle other complex interconnected challenges that that face the world over the next decade yeah and I'm, I'm really fascinated to see what the back end of corona looks like from a global perspective right like you certainly see that initial wave companies closing borders kind of screening travelers circling the wagons if you will but clearly this isn't something that can be solved locally, domestically, it needs to be this international effort um, to eradicate it everywhere. And it'll be fascinating to see kind of how how countries respond to that and step up to that challenge as we come out of this, right? And that initial kind of hit economically, socially, et cetera, around it. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think there are some more pragmatic learnings for, for other sectors here as well. So, and it, this is language that any sustainability practitioner is going to understand, adapt and mitigate. You know, we, I think it was Einstein who said, we can't solve the, the problems by using the same thinking we use to create them. And mm-hmm. we will need, all sectors will need to adapt their products and services that they provide to market to sustain their own businesses over the next 10 years. And that in turn needs a... Uh, an entrepreneurial spirit and mindset going back to almost a startup startup mentality of iterating your your products and services and testing and validating them and getting things wrong but evolving them to suit the new needs of a new world and I, and the second one was the mitigation element you know, we uh, within the agri-food sector, we spend a lot of time and effort and, and investment in limiting risk, but we need to do more, and we need to do more to regenerate our world, and that's environments, nature, communities, societies, and and therefore we, you know, we need to better understand those and evidence those risks, but also the trade-offs associated that when those risks happen, we. We remain on the front foot to limit the damage that they they make. I love those elements, right? Like the entrepreneurial spirit, that adaptation, like you said, the mitigation side of that, right? And I think the other piece is that sense of confidence, 
is it certainly felt for the last decade or so felt like we were kind of on this trajectory and people had waving senses of optimism of we can really change the trajectory and others just feeling kind of overwhelmed with, well, it just is the way it is. And I remember reading something over the last couple of weeks where somebody said the line between the unfathomable and reality is getting blurred on a daily basis. And that really resonated with me just as the sense of what we can accomplish is incredible and how we can respond to these challenges, how we can retool factories incredibly quickly. I've been blown away by the food ag system, just thinking about actually how resilient it has been in the middle of this. I really expected to see supply chains collapsing, border closings, et cetera, but see that the ability to continue to continue on has been really impressive. And I think people's sense of like, oh, we can do this. We can change that path. We can, we're not just robots kind of on a treadmill. It's a, it's a really good point. And the, the word resilience is one that has been missing through our chat so far. And I, I completely agree, but I, you know, I think the people and the system in, in ag food are used to solving problems and they're used to adapting to, to, to change. You know, the, the food is produced all over the world. It's seasonal. It's lots of different trade relationships with lots of different geopolitical, environmental, social risks attached, attached to that. And I think that's from those that I have worked with all over the agri-food sector, resilience is core to their, their spirit. And uh, it's actually a really good observation that someone outside the sector has, has made that assessment because, you know, we too often as consumers go in and expect food to be on the shelf, but actually we don't necessarily understand the amount of time, effort and complexity associated with getting it from farm to farm to fork. Yeah, well, and the piece that struck me is you started that off just talking about the people and just how everything we've talked about here is about people, right? And what we see from Just Capital just came out with their five principles of how companies should navigate crisis. And it was all about employees and community and how you're serving within that. And it's fascinating, again, to hear you kind of reference back to the people within this, that it's not an objective supply chain. It is, those are individuals who are making choices, who are choosing to to go to work, to take risks and get out in the community and do what they can to, to continue to serve. Yeah, completely. So let, let's see whether that in turn is, is sustained. You know, the connections that we've developed and we can continue to develop over the next six months or so, it would be great to, to see um, a new way a new way of producing and distributing and consuming our food that is underpinned by the peop the great people that work in our sector and new people that come to our sector. We, it's one of the, the sectors I mentioned that is in significant growth. And with that, there are more opportunities for others to join the sector from those that are, are currently operating other sectors with may be challenging, may have unfortunately been made redundant. This is a great opportunity for others to come in, see and work with those people 
who work tirelessly to get food on our shelves. But also it's a great education piece for, for more people to understand the complexities of how we grow and produce food and inspire them that this is a great industry with an opportunity to create a significant and sustainable global impact for lots of different ways. And so I think, you know, that's another really important point in terms of hope is how we get more people to understand food production, how we get more people to put food production higher up their list is both a, you know, a significant industry, but also the industry that can provide sustainable living and sustainable environments and sustainable societies and sustainable communities beyond coronavirus and into the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I think the beyond coronavirus is what we're all waiting for. I hope the growth in the industry is driven by other things other than <laughs> global pandemic. You know, and I, I think it's fascinating to think about how that cascades through all industries and that sense of individuals who are making those choices, are retooling those factories, are making decisions about how they're going to change a distillery to producing hand sanitizer or whatever it may be within that, that I think creates that optimism going forward for this industry as well as all industries going, going ahead kind of after the crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Simon, thank you so much. Really appreciate the perspective, the insights about the industry, you know, and really critically that kind of optimism for the future and some of the exciting things we're seeing within the space. So thank you very much for joining today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all very much for listening. We really appreciate it. We hope that you are staying safe and well. So on behalf of Anthesis, you know, to you, your families and your teams, these are certainly challenging times and we wish you all the best. On our website, we have a letter from our CEO, Stuart McLaughlin, around supporting our clients through COVID-19, where we're really trying to figure out how best can we support you from a community perspective. And then carrying on that theme of community, please don't hesitate to reach out to Simon Davis or myself. So that's simon.davis at Anthesis Group or Chris.Peterson at Anthesis Group. Take care, and we will talk to you soon.